Well, I'd also like to say welcome, Chris. We're excited. We're excited to watch what you can do and how God can use you and just one more person we get to judge. So, no. <laughs> I, um, I, let, me, let me start. Let me start by uh, reading our passage this morning. It's found in 1 John 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been known. But we know that when Christ appears, we'll be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And all who have this hope in Him purify themselves, just as He is pure. What's the hardest thing to believe? Is it about creation? The idea that there is a a loving God and yet evil in the world, that we have a God who is all-powerful and yet things seem to happen outside of his control. Is it that, that sometimes the good and young die and the old and and evil live a long time, that those who try so hard to love Jesus never seem to be able to find a way to make a living, and those who could care less seem sometimes to get so rich. Oh, there's, there's lots of those things. I have said before, though, that's not what's hard for me. That's not what shakes my faith. The hardest thing for me to believe is that God loves me. I don't have any problem believing that God loves you. In fact, I would, with absolute confidence, be able to tell you that. But you see, I've got my own inner dialogue and story. I've got my own disqualifiers. There's never a week where I'm driving here that I am not just sometimes overwhelmed with, who are you? (laughs) You know what you were doing and thinking this week. Anyhow, the hardest thing is for me to believe that God loves me. I don't know. I suppose I've probably, I haven't counted, of course, but I suppose I've preached hundreds of sermons. And I I was thinking about it, and I often do, I've really only preached one sermon with, I guess, a thousand different stories and ways to look at it. And that is that God loves us, or even that God loves me. I have a a friend who is an artist, excellent artist, an amazing artist. And she asked some of her friends, to help her, I think maybe she was perhaps doing a little marketing, expanding of her art, and asked, what, what's the feeling you get when you see my art? Boy, I thought about that. 
And here's how I responded. I, I said, the, the feeling doesn't have a name. I can't say what it is. But I know that I feel. I know that it's something in my chest, maybe. I know I have a response. I'm amazed. I feel gratitude. I slow down. I pause. I wonder. But I can't give a word for it. You know, it says that sometimes we don't have a word, but the scriptures says that the Spirit can kind of give words. That our inability to have a word does not mean that we don't have an ability to sort of know or to lean in. I may be on a, out of bounds a little bit, but it's made me wonder why our God has no proper noun. But it's simply beyond that, He is this infinite I am. I think love can be described, but in infinite ways, and they're all true. It's reasonable that you could leave today, and you might be going, yeah, but, but Carl, you, you didn't mention blank, and you, you didn't tell us what the Greek meant, and you missed this. You're right. I did. All I can do is, is give the same sermon I always give. It's extravagant love 2.0. <laughs> and one day it'll be 3.0 and 4.0 and like the old AOL discs, I'll just keep making new ones. Those of you who are millennials, I apologize for mentioning AOL. That was the Google of our day. I want to share as we talk about this verse, these verses, what stories I suppose some of you have heard, but not all of you, because what we call our community is always going to be in flux. People leave and people come. And now people join by video. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell my three favorites, the ones that I circle back to when it's hard for me to believe that I even have any idea about what it means to be loved by God. In the old translation that so many of us can still hear in our, in our memories, what we, the King James, it, it says, Behold what manner of love. Isn't that a great way to start? I, I got to admit, I like that better than see. There's something a little richer about behold. It's larger than just I look at it. I, I somehow let what I see maybe infect me a little deeper. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. 
this idea of extravagant love. My daughter, who was very young, in fact, she was 18, had fallen in love. They met at Camp Idrahaji, a little Christian camp up the road here on 285, and she had fallen in love with Chris. I don't, don't like to brag, but with both of my children, the minute I sort of saw them with their spouse, I knew that that's who they would marry. And when I met Chris, I told Carla, I mean April, that that's who she's going to marry, I'm pretty sure. And so I was right, and he proposed, and so they would be getting married when, you know, she would be 19. And, you know, I remember him taking me to lunch, and I thought we were just going to lunch. And he asked me. He didn't know my daughter well enough to know that had no relevance on her answer, but... He felt it was nice to ask me, and of course I said yes. And I, this is really true. See, I thought he was asking me, and that it would be maybe a couple of weeks or months or something that, you know, he would propose. Well, there was Operation Engagement, and he had all these friends, and as soon as we got done with lunch, he called them, and we're on. And, and that night, she came back and said, Daddy, we're engaged. Um, during this time, um, and this, will, this sounds like it doesn't matter, but it will matter. Um, I, I had, was working um, sort of independently. I was, doing, uh, I was doing some pastoral work, but I was also doing some itinerant speaking. And, you know, my I didn't, retirement and income isn't very steady, and I like working with my hands, and I like remodeling. So I bought this house. Um, there was this neighborhood that was beginning to revitalize called Highlands, and it's pretty close to here, and so I bought a house, a, a Victorian cottage, and um, I was going to, you know, I fixed it all up, and I, I got it all ready, and I'm going to rent it, and, you know, pre create some income and a little future, and so um, as the wedding date came closer very soon, I finished this project, and of course, Carla came to me, and she said, Daddy, can we rent your house? at a significant discount. And um, that wasn't my plan, but, you know, what's a dad going to do? And I said, sure, sure. And then, then, you know, like a week later, she goes, hey, dad, can we, can we get a dog? Um, I had just put in all new hardwood flooring. I don't know if you've ever installed hardwood flooring, not the easiest job. And I said, oh, baby, not a chance. There ain't no way. I mean, there's no way we're getting a big dog. I knew she wasn't thinking little dog. I, there's no way we're going to get a big dog in my new house. And so we were getting ready for the wedding, and they had asked me if I would officiate. And I'm trying, you know, what do you, what do you say at your own daughter's wedding? And, and I had chosen this passage, and I had told, chosen this idea of, of trying to describe for them extravagant love. And I thought what I could do was simply reach back in my memory and find a moment where I had done that and remind Carla. And um, this is the truth. I could not find a single moment where I was confident I had 
given to her absolute extravagant love. That was really sad. So I came up with an idea. I conspired with Chris, my son-in-law-to-be, this idea. And he and I worked on it together. And it came the day of the wedding. It was an outdoor venue up in the mountains. It was spectacular. The, it really was that Colorado, you know, postcard, blue skies and flowers and meadow. It was, it was unbelievable. And I walked her down the aisle and, and then I began to do this message. And I confessed. I didn't have a moment. but I want to have a moment. And that was a cue that one of her friends stood and came walking towards her with what you probably have already guessed was a little puppy. I'll never forget that squeal of joy my daughter let out. I'll never forget as she was given that puppy the three of us just sobbing sort of uncontrollably and honestly infecting the whole community with that sobbing. And so there's this whole wedding where everybody's crying, but it's, a, it's, it's, just, it's just a marvelous moment. I'm not saying that in any way to brag, and I'm not saying that that in any way makes up for a lot of the deficiencies I had as a dad. What I'm saying is that that is a tiny picture extravagant love, when you're surprised, when you can't believe it's true, and you, you can't even give a word to describe it, but you know you feel. Behold, just sit with this idea for just a moment that God has lavished on us his great love. He has surprised us in a way that we can't believe. See what great the love, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. It doesn't know this family relationship. It doesn't know the dad, so therefore it can't know the kids. Dear friends, now we are children of God. That's who we are. Paul talks about this, this mystery that we are adopted. We are the adopted children of God. Of course, those that know me will now know where the next story comes. The, which is my most frequent example or illustration of love, which is my granddaughter, Frankie. Back to Chris and Carla. Chris and Carla, when they were married, and I... I honestly knew that having myself been married and having a child at 20, that I did not possess 
the maturity that, oh my gosh, I wish I had to have known what it would be like to have been a more stable and mature father, to have been able to give her that gift. And so I, I knew I wanted another chance, and I felt like that chance would come when I became a grandpa, and I could get a do-over. And so I told Chris and Carla, I said, guys, I don't want to, I'm, I'm not going to be that dad who's always asking you if you're pregnant and when are we going to get a baby. That's, I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put away some money. And every year there isn't a child, I'm going to take some of that money back. <laughs> and when you have a child, what's left is yours. And so I didn't, I wasn't going to manipulate them. Apparently, they, they felt financially independent because they waited 11 years. Carla had told me, Dad, I know, I know I've heard God only three times, for sure. Marry Chris, become a nurse, adopt a child. She'd even told me, that she believed the adoption would somehow surprise her and come to her. My daughter is a, is a really talented singer, and um, they lived in Jackson, Wyoming, and um, a small community in a sense, and so she had sung at a friend's wedding, and that friend and her were happening to have lunch one day, and that friend mentioned that her mother, whose best friend, daughter was pregnant for the third time but was going to give that child up. And Carla said, I, we would be happy to have that child. And so this friend let that friend tell her daughter that there was this girl, Carla, who would love to adopt her child. That girl had been at that wedding three years before and remember talking to Carla and remember being attracted to Carla and said in that moment she knew Carla would be the mother of the child she was carrying. That's pretty good for a miracle. And we had nine months to wait, or eight months I suppose. I'll, I'll confess. I really have not had an experience with adoption. In, in lurking in my mind, what will that feel like? I'm, a, I'm so afraid that it might feel different than if it had been biological. But I was over the moon excited. And I'll never forget, we got the call that Katie was in labor. I jumped on a plane. I got to Jackson. She was uh, in a smaller hospital a couple of hours north of Jackson. My son-in-law had left a truck in the airport parking lot. I jumped in the truck, and I'm, I'm just making a beeline as fast as I can. I get there, and I run upstairs. I, I missed it by 15 minutes, but that's close enough. And I open the door, 
and there is a party going on in this room. I mean, you've never been filled with a room of so much joy. There is Katie, the, the birth mother and her friends, and they're having their own party. Katie had committed to not drinking during the pregnancy. That does not extend postpartum as you are then going to be the adoptive, you know, the mother. So, I mean, they are partying and they're so happy. And, and then Carla and Chris are right here and there's extended, you know, Katie's grandma who feels some attack. You know, it's just, it was just marvelous. You can't have too many people love your grandchild. And I walk in to this party laughing and joy and expressible and they hand me Frankie. And I have never in my life, honest, become emotionally out of control. And I begin to heave my sobs. I mean, I am, boy am I a buzzkill. I mean, I'm the only one who is, I mean, sobbing, I, I mean, it's, it's embarrassing sobbing. And I can't stop, and so I, 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 I give the baby back, and I, I run outside, and I, I, you know, I try to get in control. I get in control. I wipe my eyes, and I run back in. I grab the baby. Repeat. Baby back. Go back outside. Finally, I can hold my precious little girl. We knew she would be Francesca, and that we would call her Frankie, and I'm holding my precious Frankie. And I can at least only weep quietly now. I, I, can't, I, I cannot tell you that feeling. And if you've ever wondered about adoption, trust me, it's absolutely no barrier. Um, can you believe that exponentially somehow beyond what I would describe as love has been lavished on us. As, as we would often do, it's polite, you know, how, how, how are you doing, Carl? As I came in this morning and I said, well, I'll be honest, I'm coming off one of the best weeks of my life. My little Frankie's eight years old. This COVID thing is really difficult, especially with parents who are trying to work. My son-in-law works from home. My, my daughter is a nurse, but she can't leave Frankie alone, and you, you can't have a babysitter. And it's, they do have a way in which she can go to this, um, it's sort of a, a care center where parents can then work, but she's supposed to be doing schoolwork, but she's not, because what eight-year-old is going to be self-disciplined enough to sit and look at a, and she's a brilliant girl, so she knows how to get around the security stuff and just watch YouTube. In fact, her, it's a little side note, she got in trouble because she wasn't turning in assignments. And, you know, she got, you know, a little consequence, a little talking to. And so for three weeks, mom and dad are just, oh my gosh, they're just praising her because every day it, it says on the computer that they get this little readout, she has turned in her work. <laughs> Frankie discovered it doesn't matter what you turn in. It says you turned it in. And she just turned in blank pages and went back to YouTube. So I went out, my Carla, my sweet little Carla, gave me, a, honestly, a, a little SOS. She, she needed a break. They needed a break. 
And so I went up two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, and I, no, two weeks ago, I guess, and I picked up Frankie, and just the two of us went and we camped down the coast of Oregon. April joined us, flew in for a weekend. We picked her up in some little airport, and uh, she stayed with us for four days. We went down to the Redwoods. I can tell you this, and just to give context, my wife works in international travel. We have been many unbelievable places in the world. This is maybe my favorite week I've ever had. I saw Frankie in a way as she could have no screens. We didn't have any Wi-Fi, didn't have cell service. I saw her fall in love with reading. I saw her be able, because she, she struggles so deeply with to managing emotions. It's very hard for her. And, we had no outbursts, no outbreak. Oh, it was just magic. I, I, in those moments, especially with her, I have a glimpse of what it is. You see, I don't have in my memory, quite honestly, parents who lavished on me. I don't often have a context. Sometimes the idea of, of wanting and sort of supposing to feel warm that the idea of our Father in heaven is, doesn't reach me. Sometimes I will pray this, our poppy in heaven. Because I know and I can trust that a grandfather can love extravagantly. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. The story hasn't ended. In your moment in the now, the story continues beyond the now. But we know that when Christ appears, we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. That those who hope in the extravagant love of God, those who hope in the Jesus who will come again, who embodies all that is love, all that have that are transformed. I had, I had mentioned that I don't have a, a memory of a father who I, quite honestly, sort of extravagantly loved me. Some of you do. I know Peter has a different, he's a different context for love than I do. His sweet Dan, his dad, those of you who don't know him, was marvelous. Dan, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, my dad, uh, you know my story, I think many of you do. My dad married my mother in Stockholm, Sweden. She had never been to America. They met at the embassy. Um, just a year later, they flew to America. This is 1957, 1958 at that cusp. And my dad took her home in 1958 to Birmingham, Alabama, my birthplace. You don't have to be an historical whiz to just... Imagine Birmingham, Alabama in 1958 and a, a gal who has never been outside of Europe. All that to say they 
they lasted three years. And a lot of the break of that marriage was due to my dad's addictions. They both remarried the same day, three years later, two different people. Isn't that weird? And neither of them know how to pick spouses, in my opinion. Both picked emotionally very damaged people who would often express that damage in how they would step-parent my brother and I. I would see my dad on weekends when I lived in Alabama, and then later as I moved to Colorado, I would go fly back for the summers and spend with my dad. And we had, you know, lovely time and loved dad. I know he loved me. And then life went on. I remember when I graduated high school, and I sent my dad an invitation, but he wasn't able to make it. I remember when I got engaged and was going to be married, and my dad, he wasn't able to make it. I, re I remember when I graduated college, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't there. When I graduated seminary, and I had invited him, but he wasn't there. And I remember him telling me, I'm not going to miss Carla's wedding. And I remember standing and giving that wedding, wishing I could have seen his face. But he couldn't make it. And I remember in my heart making this vow. Never again. Never again am I going to risk trusting that you will love me. I felt a relief. A relief so good that I shared that with my spiritual director, a gal, uh, an older lady who was mentoring me. And I was quite proud of my decision. I thought, I have finally grown into wisdom. She wasn't so convinced. In fact, can you believe this? I know, she calls herself a spiritual director. Can you believe? She didn't think this was a good idea. She, she said, I don't know if you can believe this, that shutting our heart down is, is not a way to keep your heart safe. In fact, it'll damage your heart. It just so happens that this was at a season when I was doing uh, uh, with another ministry. I was one of the speakers, and it was large, pretty large events. And I was going to be in Atlanta. And I we were going to be actually at the arena there. The, I don't know what you call it there, Coliseum or something. And um, I told my dad about it, who lived in Alabama. It was very close, and dad said, I'll be there. My dad's a big guy. It, I don't know, almost 400 pounds, 6'3". Hard to miss. And I remember as I was speaking, 
looking up in the farthest balcony. And there was Dad. I could see him. I admit that I wasn't as excited as I thought I would be because you see my spiritual director, my mentor, had said to me that perhaps on this trip I should share with my dad the feelings I've had all these years. I'm not a courageous person. And the hardest thing for me is to share something like that. And especially when it's in a sort of a confrontational way. Dad had said I only had the weekend sort of to be there. And so Dad picked me up after, the, after I had spoken. And we drove back to Alabama. And we had made a plan that the next day he and I would get in the car and we'd spend the day and we would reminisce and drive to where I had lived, where he had lived, the church where we had gone together when I would visit, and we would just be together. We were in the car only a few minutes and I, I, I turned to Dad and I said, Dad, I, I, have, I have to say something to you. Dad, um, and I went through my graduations and my weddings and I went through my daughter. My dad began to weep, deeply weep. He shared with me some things in his life that no one had ever heard. the kinds of things that damage children irreparably. And he said, Carl, for the things I've done, I can't believe that God would ever forgive me or love me. I had just been doing a message on the prodigal son. And I said, Dad, God's love really has nothing to do with what we've done or haven't done. It's simply, it's simply received. It's simply us stopping the, holding the door closed to him as tight as we can and we do nothing except surrender. My dad took me to the airport and he said to me, Carl, I, I haven't felt this good in so long. He had lost contact with his best friend and from the airport parking lot he called that best friend but one of the things that had been the most difficult for me was for almost 10 years he had, he had had no relationship with my older brother, would not talk to him would not humble himself to be reconciled. And from the airport parking lot, he called my brother. I'll never forget when he said, Carl, I feel like a weight has been lifted. Two weeks later, when the phone rang and I heard my stepmother's voice, I knew exactly in that moment, before she said anything, what had happened. And my dad, 
due to his weight and other things, had died of a massive heart attack. When I flew back, because they asked me if I would do the funeral, and I could share the story of the prodigal son in a way I've never shared. And I could share a story that who you are in this moment is not the story. We are not who we will be. That our lives will always be transforming because of love, even when we don't know we're being transformed by his love. Because that's one small sliver of how we understand his love. Behold, what great the love, what great love the Father has lavished on us. Lord, I guess as we've heard prayed in the scriptures, help me believe. Help me surrender. Help me receive your lavish love. Amen. So behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. He loves you like Carl loves Frankie and Carla. And his true dad loves Carl, and Carl loves his dad because he is love. And Carl, I'm, our stories are different, but I'm exactly like you And that the hardest thing for me to believe is that God loves me. I mean, I preach this stuff, and then I'm just like, God, I have such a hard time. Yeah, them, but. So how does he help us? How does he help us believe? Well, on the night that Jesus was delivered up, and might be helpful to ask, does God love Jesus? Um, I think he really does. Um, on the night that Jesus was delivered up, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. And, and it's easy for us that come out of an I think I am an evangelical, if you understand what that word means, but out of our tradition to think that this is just like a sin management system. But it's so much more than that. Um, God takes, in Jesus, God takes our sin on himself and destroys it, but he also gives us his life. So this is how he helps us believe in the love of, of our Father. So th there's this great line in, in Romans because of our conversation on Wednesday, um, Carl, and because this guy had emailed me with this question, I did look up a Greek word, and this fascinated me. But Paul, Paul says this in Romans. He says, um, we have not received a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have received the spirit of sonship in the RSV. And in other versions, it's adoption. It's this word, huiothesia. It it's from two words, son and put. Like the sun has been put somewhere. Um, and it says, we've received the spirit. When we cry, Abba, Father, he says, and Abba just means dad, 
It is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children of God, then heirs, fellow heirs with Christ, um, provided we suffer with him that we may also be glorified with him. So when Jesus did this, you know, and then he delivers up his spirit on the cross, he's saying, do you get it? I'm put in, you're adopted, you're chosen by God, and I'm put in you. So you're a child by nature and you're a child that's, that's chosen. And so you're loved like um, Frankie and Carla and every other possible way that you can imagine. And in our heads, if you're like me, I like my prayer time with God is always like, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, um, yeah, but I have to do something to be adopted. First Timothy 1 10 or 9, I think. Look this up if you get a chance. When did he adopt you? <laughs> Before the ages began. That's, you didn't, you didn't choose that. He uh, chose you. And so when you doubt that the Father loves you, I think Jesus is saying, would you do this and you remember that I'm inside you and my spirit is bearing witness with your spirit. And when the Father looks at me and says, behold, my beloved son, and now 